You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It is rivalry week for the Ohio State Buckeyes. The biggest game in college football kicks off in just over 24 hours. We could not possibly be more excited for the return of the game after not having this game a year ago because the pandemic canceled it. What does this game have at stake for both teams? It's pretty obvious they're going to win a Big Ten championship or at least play for a Big Ten championship and uh, a spot for the college football playoff. But what does it mean beyond that? There's so much more to talk about here with uh, Ohio State and Michigan kicking off Saturday at 12 noon. We'll give our prediction toward the end of things and give you a nice thorough preview of what to expect coming up here this weekend. Ohio State and Michigan. Doesn't get any bigger than that. We've got a big show for you planned. Hope to have you all the, uh, the whole way through right here on Buckeye Breakdown. We've got the whole crew together as we cover Ohio State with our instant analysis from Ohio State. There's something that doesn't feel right. Unbelievable effort from him today. Is EJ Liddell going to crack the first team all Big Ten? I think he can be the guy. I'm not trying to start a quarterback controversy. He seems to have the durability. He certainly has the toughness. This is the question on a lot of people's minds here. Welcome to Buckeye Breakdown. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Buckeye Breakdown. I'm Brendan Gulick, along with our coach, Tommy Zagorski. Before we get further, Tommy, happy Thanksgiving, brother, and, and hope it was a good day yesterday. Hope it was uh, everything that Thanksgiving's supposed to be. Same to you, Brendan. We always know happy Thanksgiving is not about how much is on your plate, but rather the depth of your gratitude and the blessings that you have. So uh, hopefully everybody got to celebrate those yesterday, and not just yesterday. Celebrate it today. Celebrate it tomorrow. <laughs> continue to celebrate it. We're all blessed and uh I think sometimes we don't take enough time uh, to be grateful for the true gifts that are in our lives. Totally agree, man. Keep Thanksgiving in your heart all year long. It's uh, it's a good way to live your life and, and be grateful for the things that, uh, that we have for sure. I am especially grateful for having a chance to be uh, a part of this rivalry, a very, very, very small part. But my gosh, it is so much fun uh, to have a chance to, to look at the two best teams in the Big Ten this year. To have this game, you know, feel like it has the buildup all week that the Ohio State Michigan game should have, you know, it, for a Michigan team that has never entered this rivalry under Jim Harbaugh in its previous five iterations, they've never entered with a record worse than eight and three, and yet I feel like the fact that this year's Michigan team has exercised the demons of, of the 2020 season. They obviously didn't play the Buckeyes, but had a, just an absolutely terrible season. Um, the fact that everything is on the line for Michigan and Ohio State going into championship season, uh, and, and the fact that both teams are coming off of really good performances, just it just fuels you know all those butterflies you've been feeling all week, thinking, you know, is there a chance that that the Buckeyes could lose. No, yes. And you like fight back and forth with yourself. Um, it's It's been so much fun this week to think about what Saturday at noon is going to hold. Uh, and and so I, I'm, you know, I think it's, it's just, it's fun to have those normal rivalry feelings, you know, back in our lives again. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Buckeyes joined in hands yesterday as, as they ate turkey together. And, you know, they, while they're eating that turkey, there's this disdain uh, for the team up north. And as they're thinking about this and they work towards it, and Ryan Day's, you know, echoed this all week. This is something that this program works on every single day, 365 days of the year, they work towards this. This is why you come to Ohio State. This is why you have the opportunity to play in the greatest rivalry in all the sports. It doesn't matter what sport you're talking about. This is it. Michigan, Ohio State, somebody who's never seen a game of football in their lives. You could go across the seas and you say Michigan, Ohio State. They're going to know what that means. It's just something special about it. And this is where a lot of these players cement their legacy as great players in this rivalry, you know, and, and on both sides of it. We, you know, you're going to go through this and you're going to watch. Michigan's going to put out their their hype video. Ohio State put out one. I, I got chills when I watched it, you know, with the, with the Jim Trestle talking about, you know, we're going to be great in the community. We're going to be great in the classroom. And you're going to be really happy with these guys in Ann Arbor, 300 some days or whatever from when it was. And just to show you that they understand it. And I know Ryan Day's been asked a million times this week about the rivalry and growing up in New Hampshire and living in the colonial Northeast. He knows what this is about. If you love college football and you love competition and you love rivalry, a lot of these guys played against each other growing up in high school. And it used to be just really Ohio and Michigan kids. But now it's legitimately the entire country. These are kids that played against each other in California, that played against each other in Florida, that played against each other in Texas. All are going to be able to play, um, you know, right up 23 and, and have that opportunity to have such a great, great rivalry this weekend. And, you know, it's, it's exciting to see Michigan have such a great season. And I say that because it really makes this game much more intriguing. Like you said, Brandon, they haven't come in. Sorry, they haven't come in with less than eight and three. But to be able to come into this game, a top 10 team, realistically, you know, a touchdown called back in the first half of the Michigan State game at the end of that half probably changes the makeup of that game a little bit. You're going in up two scores with a team that really doesn't have the ability to throw the football well down the field like Michigan State. Who's not to say Michigan takes that lead and then never looks back? And realistically, we could be looking at this game right now saying that they're an undefeated team. I don't think anybody on the outside is saying that this team is worse than Michigan State, even though Michigan State did beat them head-to-head. But I do think it's going to be a great game to watch these players. And the one thing that's really interesting for Ohio State, I think Thayer Munford's the only one on the offensive team or on the team that has started against these guys. There's so much youth in this Ohio State team and, and to see Thayer, who's got you know forty five starts, or I mean Thayer's been playing at Ohio State. I think I think he's I think he blocked for Joe Germain, but um, you know, he's been around forever. And you know, it's, you know to see that and have that ability, uh, it's going to be really exciting uh, to watch these guys compete on Saturday. I mean, obviously Chris Olave has played you know some of his best games uh, against Michigan, but you're right. I mean the the number of guys that have just whether they've started or played you know some role. Um, the Buckeyes with such a young or inexperienced team on the whole, you know, I, I, I'm I'm certainly not uh, discounting the experience they've built up throughout the course of this season. But there's just there's a lot of guys that haven't played in this game before or at least not played meaningful roles in it. And and you're right. It's going to be uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how those guys can, um, you know, keep their feet underneath them and, and, you know, deal with the intensity and the pressure that's probably a bit overwhelming at points. Um you know, you bring up Jim Trestle, and I think this is where everything started, you know, for, for the the recent history of this rivalry. I mean, since he took over in 2001, Ohio State has lost twice. They're 17-2, and two, uh, and one of those two losses was in the midst of a coaching change. Um, they, they have essentially 
completely dominated uh, Michigan football over the last two decades. And, you know, you, you get the sense just based on some of the things that have been said in Ann Arbor over the last certain the last few months, but but obviously, you know, this week, they, they've been trying to take this rivalry, this game far more seriously, um, much like Ohio State's been every single day working on things to beat Michigan. Uh, it sounds like Michigan is adopting a similar mentality. I, I'm not sure why they didn't have that mentality in the first place, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is Ohio State, you know, has been, has been working for this game all year long, and this game means everything to them. Uh, and and you've got a Buckeye team that certainly feels like they got a pretty good shot to, of, of going up to Ann Arbor and scoring a bunch of points. Why don't we start on the offensive side of the ball for the Buckeyes? Because everybody wants to talk about, you know, C.J. Stroud, the Heisman candidate. Um, <laughs> we will get into uh, award season snubs here in a bit. Let's just talk about what, what to expect on the field first. Um you know, the Ohio State offense and and the Michigan defense feels like the matchup to watch because Michigan's defense has been really good this year. The Buckeyes clearly right now statistically have the best offense in the country. It's really not close. Um, and I, I think a lot of people are going to see, OK, can the Buckeyes move the ball against a good defense or can, you know, that Michigan defense, can they slow down an elite offense? Absolutely. And, and Brendan, uh, one last thing about Michigan. To not think that in the walls of their facility, they don't worry about this game and, and talk about playing in this game all year long. They can't say it publicly. Sure. If you're that bad over the last 20-some years and you just say that you've been working towards this, like, I, I'd be embarrassed to say that. Like, yeah. that would be like right now looking at me saying, I, I train for a marathon every single day. Like, I've been training for this marathon every single day. Like, it ain't happening right now. Like, it's just not. It's just not <laughs> happening. So, like, when I say that. You look at me and you go, all right, yeah, cool. Like, good move. Like, great investment of your time there, uh, <laughs> you know, Michigan. But, uh, no, I, offensively, you know, it's going to be a different game for Ryan Day. He's not dealing with the Don Brown blitzkrieg, you know, cover zero, you know, man defense where they're just like, hey, we're going to get there. And I think Ryan kind of alluded to it this week when he said that Mike McDonald's defense is more of an NFL defense than a college defense. So that's his direct quote. And what he means by that is you're going to see Mike McDonald, he's going to mix up these coverages for Ohio State. Um, you're going to see a lot of cover three, a lot of cover four. You're going to see a lot of quarter, quarter, half. You know, they're going to do different things right now to try to disguise their coverages the same way Matt Barnes has done since he took over as a defensive coordinator for the Buckeyes and try to create confusion for Ohio State. But where Ohio State's really going to have the opportunity to attack this Michigan defense is going to be into the boundary. This defense has struggled into the boundary all year. Boundary and bunch sets. So when you have multiple players into the bunch set, so for example, you know, two stacked receivers or a three stack receiver, that is when this team has really struggled. You know, they're going to get tense down the splits and I'm doing this with my hands and, and people are listening and not watching and they're probably going, what's he talking about? You're going to see, you know, snug and tight splits, two and a half yards from the tackle with the receivers. This is where they really struggle in coverage. And this is where you saw Maryland last week kind of pick them apart at times where they left some stuff out there. Um, you know, unfortunately, they missed some throws. Michigan State the same way. Um, and then really in the run game, you know, Ohio State likes to run the dual play where they bring a receiver in or they disguise it whatever way they're going to do it. Big sets have been an issue. 12 personnel, you know, with Jeremy Ruckert, Kate Stover, uh, you know, for you know Mitch Rossi, whoever it's going to be, you know, for the Buckeyes that's going to be in that realm it's going to be hard for them to be able to defend the run and defend the pass against Ohio State. And we've seen this every week. Teams pick and choose their battles. 
Ohio State also has the ability to get into the counter game. And you watch Maryland last week, their most explosive runs were a tackle wrap play. So what they did was early in the game, Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end, who, who we'll talk about, who's a, who's a very good player, a kid out of Divine Child who, who grew up a Michigan fan. Like, this is his Super Bowl. This is going to be the biggest game of his career. Going into this game, he knows his legacy depends on this game as a Michigan Wolverine. And when he, what they're going to do is they're going to play him wide and stand him up when he's when he's to the boundary, if there's not a tight end to that side. When they stand him up, it gives him the flexibility to play under the tackle or over the tackle and let that linebacker kind of fit off of it. That's how they're going to try to defend the counter game. But what Maryland did, they came back with a tackle wrap play where they brought the play, they brought the tackle from the tight end side. They kept the grounded tight end on the backside, and they only wrapped right back through. And the counter action with the back's alignment, because you watch their linebackers. Michigan's linebackers are going to align based on the alignment of the running back. This is really important. If Ryan Day decides to start putting CJ in the in the in the shotgun and put you know Mayan Williams or Trayvon Henderson you know in the side cart next to him, this is that alignment is going to dictate the alignment of those linebackers. They play based on it. You watch them, um, and they've really played themselves out of it. And that's why that counteraction has been really tough. The other thing that Ohio State does that a lot of teams don't do in the Big Ten uh, as much as they used to is also under center, setting up the play action under center with the different actions that they can work with. Um, and I think that's going to be important. Seven-man protections uh, as well to be able to just kind of secure the edges and really let C.J. Stroud set his feet and pick apart this defense. Now, their secondary is good. They're not great. They're a good secondary because what they do, they benefit from a great pass rush. They're stout inside. They're really strong. They're going to move those guys a lot. I think they're going to let 55 and 97 take off on the edge. Those inside guys, so they're going to twist those guys. They're going to blitz them. They're going to walk up linebackers. They're going to try to disguise stuff. They're going to drop those guys. They did, they've been getting more into it where they start dropping 90, I think his number is. One of the defensive tackles, he's a, he's a thicker kid, but he runs pretty well. They're going to drop him. Um, and, you know, they're really confident. Mike McDonald's really done a great job taking over this defense that was, you know, abysmal a year ago and really has you know, developed this defense uh, to, to a formidable defense that Ohio State's going to have a bunch of different ways to attack. Let's talk about Agent, uh, Aiden Hutchinson and, and David Ajabo, 97 and 55 for a moment, because it's certainly the best combination pass rush that the Buckeyes have seen all year. But you can make an argument that even just individually, one and two, uh, I think Ajabo is probably a better pass rusher than George Karloftis, um, but maybe doesn't get the same national love. And those two guys are really, really good players. And I would think that Ohio State's offensive success largely depends upon keeping Stroud upright or giving him ample time to throw the football. And that largely means neutralizing those two guys, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And the reason Ojabo probably doesn't get the national uh, press that George Koloftis got going into the game against Ohio State, he doesn't defend the run very well. He's not a great run defender. You watch him, he'll play in and out of his gap. That's the one issue that this Michigan up front defense has had. where they, They're supposed to be in a B gap. They're supposed to be in a C gap. They play out of gaps. When they play out of gaps, they put those linebackers we talked about their fits. Now they put those guys in a really tough situation. Imagine going to park when you go somewhere. Uh, Chipotle at lunch, Brendan. I know you love Chipotle. So you're pulling into a Chipotle. It's 12.05, and you're a glutton for punishment. You know the line's wrapped around the building. You're looking for a parking spot, and you got to park. And you, now there's a there's a truck there, and you got to park around that truck. But while you got to park around that truck, the truck keeps moving, so you can't get around that truck when you go to park it. So these linebackers run into when these guys don't play gap responsible football. And that's when they give up these runs. And that's what you're going to see Ohio State to try to have that with the counter game, uh, as well as being able to, you know, run at these guys. You know, I think Jabo, if he gets a chance to pin his ears back and go, 
He's a really talented kid. But the one thing that we're underselling is how good the offensive tackles for Ohio State are. Absolutely. These are also the best offensive tackles these guys are going to play against this season thus far. And because of that, I think that we're not giving them enough credit. You know, you watch Hutchinson's stats. He had three sacks, I think it was, in the Michigan State game. Two of those were off boots that were terrible calls by Michigan State, which they tried to run against Ohio State. For some reason, they have this, like, pillow that they have this boot pillow where they're like, I just want to run a boot. We'll fake to the one way and we'll naked it out. Like, it's not there, guys. It's not. It's not. You can't naked it around these guys. And that's where Ohio State's going to go some split flow stuff to kind of keep those guys at bay um, as well. So I, I think Hutchinson, you watch his motor, the way he plays. I mean, last week, you know, he, he the first play, I think it's the second play of the Maryland game, and you put that film on. Um, they try to run counter to him. And this is what I alluded to in the opener, that stand-up defensive end where they let him play up in two, you know, he's played the three-point majority of his time at Michigan. They now let him play in a two-point to show his flexibility. I think that's why he's probably a day-one draft pick. And he has the flexibility to play either gap and let that linebacker fit off of it. I say that because also they have him cover the back out of the backfield. I mean, they ran a swing pass to their back, uh, you know, out of the backfield, Maryland did, and he covered it for a tackle for loss. That's freakish. At six foot seven, you know, 285 pounds of, of granite. I mean, this guy can move. He's got great hands. He is the best defensive lineman Ohio State has seen to date, but also he's going against the best offense that he will see um, until he's playing on Sundays uh, next year. I know you talked a little bit about the secondary for Michigan. It feels like Brad Hawkins is probably their best defensive back, their safety. Um, what's going to be the key for C.J. Stroud in trying to manipulate the secondary to find open guys? Because we're certainly well-versed in the talent that Stroud has uh, to work with on his side of the ball, but there there has to be an element of you need time to throw the football, you need time for those guys to get open, and they have done that repeatedly but they are going to face again a secondary that's probably one of the better secondaries they've seen this year. Yeah, I mean they're loaded. I mean, you know, Hawkins, Gray, Turner, you know, it's a good defensive secondary. Hills, a good player that they bring in as a nickel. I mean, they've got a lot of good players. But it's going to come back to protecting the quarterback. Like Ohio State has done a great job all year. The other thing that's going to be important are CJ's eyes. And we talk about this every single week. I feel like a broken record after the game. We talk about how well CJ Stroud's eyes. Go back. And if you get a tight view, you know, when it's on the Herbistrator on Saturday and you're watching this, watch his, watch the stripes on his helmet. Watch the stripes on CJ Stroud's helmet. You're going to see those eyes go here. A lot of people don't realize this. The reason people have helmets with like stripes or the wing on the back of it is also because they want to see where the quarterback's eyes go. Like we used to do this. And when I was at schools that didn't have a stripe on their helmet, We'd put a line on the quarterback's head. I do it with the offensive line, too. I'd put a stripe on the top of their helmet. And the reason you do that is now you can see where their eyes are going. You can see, like, what's the eye discipline? Because you can't see all that, you know, from the other side. And that's really where C.J. Stroud's going to have the ability um, to be able to do that. And if he can set his feet, he's proven he can make these big-time throws. And it's going to come back to also the receivers winning. The receivers have to win if they're in man coverage. If they're in the zone, like I said, early in the beginning – they struggle. They struggle with the smash concept into the boundary. A lot of post routes, looking off these safeties. It's going to be interesting to see kind of how uh, Ryan Day decides to attack this. Um, I, I think what's going to happen is the beauty of running the smash concepts are that you have a high and a low. Um, you're going to be able to beat cover three or cover four with it. And I think that's what you're going to see, you know, really him work on. You probably aren't going to see as much mesh as Ohio State traditionally runs. It's all those crossing routes where they run the rub routes. That's when they're seeing somebody that runs man. If they decide to see, you know, a ton of man, then that's when they're going to get into it. A lot of teams have run man against Ohio State because they said, guess what? 
like the old Woody Hayes, when you throw the football, two things that happen are bad uh, of the three things that potentially happen when you throw the football. They don't want to let Travion Henderson run all over him. I think they're going to be egotistical enough going into this game, saying that they think they can probably stop the run with their upfront guys and play some zone behind it and be the most complete defense Ohio State has seen thus far. One more question on this, you know, maybe uh, film breakdown type stuff. What kind of impact can Jeremy Ruckert have this week? And I feel like Ruckert has had weeks where he's been really, really front and center, notable, great games. And I feel like there's been a couple of weeks where he's kind of faded back a little bit in terms of, you know, his overall um, impact on the game. Um, But I I would think that especially in in protecting the quarterback, if he's staying in, you know, that he, he could be really impactful this week. Yeah, I mean, he's done a great job protecting all season. He got called for the holding call against Purdue, um, which was a bogus call, where Kalafis at the last second kind of gets off of him. Um, you know, but realistically, like, Jeremy Ruckert has got to be that bad dude we saw, like, the first three weeks of the season. I mean, I remember you and I, we got on this, and you were, like, you after air, you were like, all right, you got to stop. This Jeremy Ruckert, you're gushing on this guy. Like, I mean, it's a, <laughs> your man crush is on another level on who he is. And I, I think when you watch Ruckert and where he's at in his development – this is his week to be that bad guy again, to go hit Aiden Hutchinson in the teeth, to hit David, you know, you know, hit 55 in the mouth. Um, I don't want to say his name wrong. I'm sorry. I have all okay. week I've been watching film on these guys. So I've been going numbers. <laughs> Aiden, I met him when he was a freshman in high school at Divine Child. Like he's, a, I mean, uh, he he's a different cat, but like when you see that and you see that ability for these guys to go and, and like really go see that the split flow stuff's going to be important. Can they run counter behind Jeremy Rucker? Can he give them that ability? And really, this is where Ryan Day is going to want to get into the 12 personnel sets where he has Stover as a grounded tight end. He has Ruckert as the H off the ball. Can he give him the ability to be the guy that wraps around on the counter? Could you also run uh, – also they run like a duo lock play where what they, that duo play that we talked about, but what they'll do is they'll wrap the tight end around. Um, it's an interesting way to be able to get to it. Um, and so, no, I, no, you're not. You're not the only one that has a man crush on him. I'm all about him. So, uh, but no, that's where it's going to come into play. And also that split flow is going to also give them the ability to be better in the play action because that's what happens. The best way to keep defensive ends who are elite pass rushers, which we're going to see, which Ohio State will see tomorrow, is having the ability to have split flow in the backfield, to have action, you know, play action, you know, kind of a semi roll, not have CJ trying to get out of the pocket because now you're just asking for problems. He'll never be able to set his feet. He'll be throwing balls into the ground, and then you're going to be, oh, here we go again. Um, and also have the awareness as Ohio State to have the resiliency. This isn't going to be a video game day. I think they're going to score a lot of points. But to say, like, after the first seven drives, we're going to see a stat where it's like touch on, touch on, touch on. Do I hope that happens? Absolutely. Do I realistically in my head, if we're watching this team on defense, think that's going to happen? I don't. There's a lot going on. You're, you're playing at Michigan. You're playing with a young quarterback who's going to have trouble hearing. That place gets loud. It's 102,000 in that bowl or 105,000 in that bowl. It's down and below. You know, we have standing room only crown. I think it's 107, actually. I'm not even credit for it. But anyways, they're going to have that many people there. They're going to be screaming at the top of their lungs. And Ohio State's going to hit a couple big plays early, and it'll deafen that crowd. Nebraska, they let that crowd hang around a little bit, and that kind of kept Nebraska in that game. It's going to be those big plays that they can have. Maybe a Trayvon Henderson break a big run. Um, you know, something that's going to show them that, like, hey, look, um, we're still Ohio State. Uh, and we being the, the team, the Ohio State, not me, I'm not Ohio State, but the proverbial we, and give them the ability to kind of just set the tone early. Hey, I, uh, I, I think everybody's pretty well versed in Ohio State's big play explosive ability. Before we flip to the other side of the ball, now now is the time to talk about the uh, hilarious, ridiculous, 
um, you know, put whatever uh, highly superfluous word you'd like in front of, uh, you know, as an adjective in front of the snubs for uh, Ohio State's skill position guys. You know, it, it's funny how <laughs> the argument all last weekend that you kept hearing nationally was, well, C.J. Stroud's he's got too too many options. The team is too good, so. You know his Heisman candidacy should take a hit because he's he's got it's not him it's everybody else that's making him look good, and then which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Then a couple of days later, the Blitnikoff, you know, uh, a watch uh, award watch uh, semifinal you know list comes out and no Olave, no Wilson, no Smith and Jigba. The Doak Walker comes out, no Travion Henderson. Like <laughs> it makes. Absolutely no sense whatsoever. Brendan, it comes back to like when you're really good and people just accept that you're really good. I think sometimes they undersell how great you really are. Think about how many times watching LeBron James over the last decade in the NBA, where there are years where LeBron's stats are through the roof. LeBron leads the team to the play, whatever it may be. And if you're a LeBron hater, you can put in the chat box, LeBron's with this, that, or whatever. Whatever you want to say, LeBron's got game. LeBron's had game for a long, long time. And the years where he's not first team all NBA or the years that he's not, you know, the MVP or at least in the conversation to be a finalist for the MVP candidate. Like why? Well, oh, it's LeBron. What a great story. Oh, Russ is, or, uh, you know, Durant's having a great year. Or this guy's having a great year. Like that's not fair. It's not fair because, oh, they're just really good. Like we're, we're talking about Brendan. We're talking about a guy who wasn't on the depth chart at Ohio state. That's a finalist for this award that he had to transfer out to go find reps. Like, that's insane to think. And no knock from Jameson Williams. He's had a tremendous season down in Tuscaloosa. But to say that these three receivers, it's almost like they knocked themselves out of it. I think that the, the, the awards are like, well, can we put all three guys around state? It's Why not? Part of the voting process. Like, I get that. It's just stupid. It's, I mean, it's, it's ignorant. And then to have C.J. Stroud not in for the max. I mean, it's ridiculous. I think it's another fuel to the fire, another log to put into the – into the, the proverbial fire at the Woody where these guys just continue to work. They're disrespected um, and they continue to work through it. So, um, you know, I, I just, it's disappointing to see it. Um, you know, these guys have played really hard. You know, it, it's not, it's not fair. It's not fair to players that, you know, Chris Olave's, I mean, the, the, when you write the memoir of the Chris Olave story at Ohio state, I mean, the fact that he's, there will be pictures of him in the facility forever. I mean, he's going to go down as the, I mean, until Jackson Smith and Jagba probably gets to that point. Um, you know, because of Chris's ability to stay at the university for so long and play with, you know, really multiple different quarterbacks, like he's going to go down as, you know, statistically speaking, the best receiver in the history of Ohio State football. Um, and that says a lot. There, there's been some really talented guys over the years. And to not have him in that conversation, I, I get not putting Garrett Wilson or Jackson Smith and Jagba because you say, well, you can't put all three in there. But at least Chris Olave is a senior. You know, he's been there. You know, give him the ability uh, to do that. I mean, the guy scores every four touches. Who in the country is not signing up for a receiver that scores every four touches? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, come on. Let's let's think about this, guys. Pretty pretty wild. Pretty wild. All right, let's flip to the other side of the ball because, you know, Ohio State's defense this year, uh, in the first couple weeks, maybe even the first three weeks, was not very good. Uh, and now the last couple of weeks against both Purdue and Michigan State, you know, the offense stole a lot of the headlines because they threw up you know, 50 plus points back to back games. But frankly, it's it's the defense's involvement that I think has has me and has a lot of other people around the country believing that this team could win a national championship because all of a sudden this group is is 
first of all, it's not a liability anymore. It's it's an above average, you know, statistically above average asset. Um, I don't know if Ohio State's defense is is quite on the same level as, you know, what we've seen from Georgia or what we've seen from Wisconsin or even Oklahoma State this year. Uh, they probably haven't, on the whole, achieved at consistently the same high level that Michigan has. Um, but the growth from week one to week 11 has been off the charts good. Uh, and I, I do expect the Buckeyes to, to play a good game defensively this week. Absolutely. And Brennan, it starts with, we talked about this off the air. Um, our friends at The Athletic wrote a great article talking about the stop rate. And the stop rate, um, this is getting pretty nerdy about football. So, uh, But what it is, is a stop rate is a new stat. We've used it probably the last five or six years in college football. And the reason for it is this. Football is geared towards being explosive on offense. The the way that it, a pass interference call, you call way more defensive pass interferences than offensive pass interferences. You're going to, I mean, there's just, it's just the way the game is. It's just the targeting rules now. Players have to be more apprehensive in the way that they tackle people. It's the game is geared towards offensive football. And part of it is because why? Who sits in and goes, wow, remember that 3 0 game? Man, that was awesome to watch. Three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. A botched fumble on a punt put them in the red zone, they kick a field goal. But those two teams, wow, what a game. What a game. Like Nobody's tuning in to watch it. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, sell, it doesn't sell. It doesn't sell Fanville. It doesn't sell the different things that are going through this. What it sells is points. And the reason I say this defensive stop rate, these numbers are predicated on the amount of points you give up per drive. So as you're looking at it, Georgia's number one in the country. They give up 0.88 points per drive. So the amount of drives that their defense has seen, what they're yielding. I say all this because when Matt Barnes took over the defense for Ohio State, they were ranked 112th in the country. There's 132 Division I-A college football teams on the stat list. They're 112th at Ohio State. Not good. Awkward silence. Look around the room. Uh-oh. The Buckeyes are now 13th in the country. Now, take this. If you take the statistical outliers out of those first three games of the season, they're number four, I believe, in the country when I redid the stats. And that's that's my that's my that's my Case Western Reserve University math, and I don't know how great that is. But I, I say all that because now you see how different this defense is. They're mixing up coverages. They went from that college style defense that Ryan Day kind of backhandedly talked about with Don Brown earlier this week, and they're running an NFL style defense. They're going to mix up coverages. They're going to mix up blitz schemes. They're going to mix up the way their defensive linemen fit the run, the different fits that they have. And I think when you see that. They're playing more confidently, and and it's it's not it's no coincidence. When you start stopping people, guess what happens? Like you're pretty happy about it as a defense. You always talk about. I, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago. I heard Derek Brooks talk once uh, when he was playing for the Super Bowl Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Derek Brooks, a Hall of Famer, said, "Our defense, Warren Sapp, John, Lynch, I mean, like the, the guys that were on this defense. I mean, let's talk about drooling about defense. All we asked for was one blade of grass between our heels." in that goal line. And I'm not saying Ohio State's there yet, but they're getting awfully darn close. And this is why they're a team that everyone's talking about for a national championship contender. Now, on the flip side, what we just talked about, Michigan has been great at this. Michigan doesn't give up a lot of points. They've done a good job of defending teams. They condense things down in the red zone. Now, where they get into problems is when they start running some zone coverage and uh, down in the red zone, the team's been able to pick them apart. So you'll see probably a little bit more man when they get down there this week uh, as a way to try to stop the run. But Ohio State's defense has just done such a good job. And it's going to come back to Haskell Garrett inside. How can you stop How can Haskell Garrett and the rest of the defensive line inside and the linebackers inside? How can you protect the linebackers and give them the ability 
to stop the run. Because one of the things that you saw last week against Maryland um, was the uh, uh, Donovan, uh, the kid that let him in uh, receiving yards, the running back. Yeah, back Donovan back. Edwards. Donovan Edwards. Donovan Edwards. I mean, Donovan Edwards was sipping Gatorade two weeks ago. They put this kid in, and they, they kind of let him be the number one read to get out. So what they did was a lot of times when you watch Michigan and you watch McNamara, traditionally your running back is your your running back is normally kind of your check down at the end of it. He's looking at him first. You'll watch his eyes. He looks to the – and I'm looking this way because like, my back's getting out here. He's going to look right away. If he's not covered, he's going to throw that football. He's going to let him go and go run and go take free yards. And that's what he did. He did it to the tune of a, you know, 100, you know, 100 plus yards uh, against Maryland last week. Ohio State's going to have to have an answer for that. Now, Ohio State's not going to sit and cover one the entire game because Kerry Combs is not calling the game. Unless something happens to Matt Barnes between now and, and noon tomorrow where they just run man every play. Um, <laughs> that's not going to happen. So if the Buckeyes, if the Buckeyes played Michigan week three, we'd have a lot of problems. We'd have a lot of problems with this, but the zone coverage stuff that Ohio state's doing, they're not gonna be able to pick them apart with the backs as much. Um, you know, the, the other matchup issue that's going to be big for them is also being able to see who's going to cover Eric all Eric all is an Ohio kid. He's from Fairfield high school, uh, down in the Cincinnati area. That's turned out a Jason Krause, the head coach there. He's turned out a lot of great division one players. They've gone a lot of places. And, you know, some of those guys are now in the National Football League um, and being very, you know, good in the National Football League. Eric Hall is probably going to do the same thing. Eric Hall is too big to be covered by a traditional DB, and he's too fast to be covered by a normal linebacker. So it's going to be interesting to see if, you know, how the Buckeyes brought Cody Young in a little bit last week to defend the run. Is he the guy that's going to be kind of the difference maker for them through the cover Eric Hall? You know, I think Steel Chambers probably has the athleticism to cover him. Um, and I don't know if he's got the girth to cover him, but you really don't want to put – you want Steel Chambers to stop the run. Steel Chambers is probably one of the best uh, tacklers on the team. And then, you know, Ronnie Hickman has had issues at times covering people this year. Say what it is. I love Ronnie Hickman. You know, I, I still got a 14 jersey that's back ordered on eBay from somewhere in Korea. But I know that, I, you know, I'm a big fan of his. But as we're looking at it, I, I think he's had a little couple issues, you know, covering those things. So I think going forward – you know, that's going to be the big matchup for the for Ohio State. I, I think the corners are going to do a good job. I really do. I mean, to think that to think that Denzel Burke didn't play corner until, like, this season is ridiculous. I mean, the kid sat out of senior year of high school. I mean, the kid was playing wide receiver. And then, like, to have the have the wherewithal, hey, we're going to have this kid start for us um, and come here and be a guy because of his competitiveness uh, is really enticing. I think he's going to be a good – you know, he'll be able to do his thing. Um, you know, Cameron Brownson, you know, has done a really good job as well. So you're going to see the, the corners be able to play good football. It's going to come back to the linebackers. And I hate to say it. I've been preaching these guys all week. I've been putting them up. But uh, I think it's going to be how the linebackers play uh, that matchup. And not only the run fits, but also can they stop the running back and the tight end in the passing game. Those are the two big things. I'm not as much concerned uh, about them going forward. So Yeah, this, this is a good question here from It's Just Me, Tim. Uh, Craig Young, a good matchup for the tight end. Craig Young, I think, is Ohio State's, like, most physical specimen in the defensive secondary. He is a big dude, and for his size, he can really, really move. Uh, I I kind of like that idea, to be honest with you. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Craig Young play against uh, against all at all. Yeah, and they used him. I mean, they used him in Michigan State. Um, you know, as a way to kind of stop the run, and, and you put him in the game, it's going to force him to stop the run a little bit more. Um, and he's just going to be a better fitter, I think, from that from from there. And as he goes forward with it, we'll see what uh, kind of goes. There, I just you can't have Tommy Eichenberg chasing Eric all around the entire day. That's not Tommy's game. Tommy's played really well for Ohio State. He's becoming a much better player, but that's where you have to see him develop. And, and maybe you know, you know, the uh, Palo Alto, the, the you know, who hasn't really played much for Ohio State, it's kind of, kind of a disappointment this year. 
you know, if he's able to maybe, you know, have a way of, uh, I, I butchered his name. I'm sorry. There you go. Sorry. Oh, I love you. Well, hey, when you start making plays, I'll say it right. You know, I mean, like, I mean, we, he's also a guy that, you know, they brought in as a scholarship guy that really hasn't added as much value as you'd hoped at this point. Sure. Sure. Um, look, I, I think it, you mentioned Haskell Garrett. Um, I think Ohio State's pressure that they can put on Cade McNamara is largely going to predicate how well everybody else behind the defensive line is going to play. And and as Ohio State, as you look back where they were at the beginning of the season, you know, weeks one, two, and frankly, even for parts of the game in week three, the defensive line just didn't dominate. Um, now, by the end of the game, they looked really good against Tulsa, and, and the defensive line totally overpowered Akron's offensive line, and it kind of felt like they haven't looked back since then. They've had some some big sack totals and and uh, tackle for loss totals. Um, Michigan's offensive line has only given up nine sacks all year in 11 games, so they've proven that they can do a pretty good job of keeping Cade McNamara on his feet and J.J. McCarthy when he gets a few snaps. Um, and to Michigan's credit, you know, they really haven't turned the ball over very much. It's probably the, the best thing I can say about their offense, which has been good, not great, and certainly not elite, but pretty good. Um, can you can you shine a spotlight on, you know, how, just how important this week is for Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison, Jerron Cage and, and, you know, Teron Vincent and right on down the line to try to disrupt some things at the line? Yeah, I mean, making you know, allowing McNamara not to set his feet. You know, I, I don't see, I don't see JJ McCarthy playing a lot in this game. I, I you know he had those fumbles against the Michigan State game, and ever since then, they really haven't used him as much. <clears throat> That's another part I omitted from that game. You know, he had a couple huge turnovers in that game that you know that, that kind of changed the flipped the script on that game. But it's going to be able to get pressure home, and you have to have faith in the fact that um, your defensive ends can go beat these guys one on one. Because they're going to work on, you know, they're going to Josh Gaddis. They're, they're, you know, Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator, offensive line coach for Michigan, does a lot of crossing and rub route stuff uh, to get ready to to beat man stuff. But as the Buckeyes sit there in, the, in a lot of their zone stuff, I don't think that's going to be a great attack plan. I mean, it's going to give them a couple windows, but realistically, if they can tee off and get one on ones with these defensive line, you know, sending four, you know, adding on a Steel Chambers, adding on a Tommy Eichenberg at different times you know, adding on different players uh, to be able to get home um, is going to really keep them off schedule. And I think the biggest thing is make this team live in third and long, choke out the run on first and second down, because that's the other thing Michigan's going to try to do. Michigan's going to try to run the football. It's They've played complimentary football the entire season. Their only chance of winning this game is by running the football effectively on Ohio State and forcing the Buckeyes to have the, the most electrifying offense, you know, arguably in the history of college uh, college football, stand there on the sideline and look at each other and, and get cold and wait while these, this team turns out 11, 12-minute drives. Um, and even if they get a field goal out of it, like, that's fine. Like, that's what they want because they're going to be able to get just eating up the clock as they get into it. I think that's going to be a big stat as the time of possession at the end of this thing. Um, I don't foresee them sitting back and, and trying to throw the football as much. Um, you know, sometimes those stats, you know, nine, as you're looking at it, you know, last week, you know, they felt pretty good against a Maryland defense. I think they gave up one sack against Maryland. I think they threw the ball you know, a total of, you know, 40 times, but it was more so they threw the ball 40 times because it was like late. I mean, McNamara had 28, 28 attempts. Um, you know, McCarthy came in for a little bit and, you know, the different guys that they let in, um, you know, but I, I really think that it's going to be an interesting, um, interesting going forward to see, you know, how Ohio State is able to generate pressure. I think you let Harrison, you let, you let, you let nine and 11, 
go and eat on the edge. You don't have to get them involved in the zone games. Um, let the inside guys move around a little bit, you know, work on the different picks, you know, and that's one of the things that you saw Maryland do last week is they're going to run a sort protection uh, a lot. So Michigan does a, a big thing where they'll go a five-man or six-man protection. And what they do with the sort is the guard will end up reading, the guard will read the linebacker to the down defensive lineman. The tackle is going to read the down defensive lineman to the stand-up Russian. Maryland did a nice job last week of being able to disguise that a little bit. And I'm sure Matt Barnes has got some ways that he's going to figure out, especially when they get into empty, of ways to, build, to, to cultivate that and have an ability to, to go after him that way. And really put these offensive linemen and confuse them. Because that's the other thing, is that these offensive linemen, I mean, as you prepare guys every single week, they watch so much film on safety alignment, on linebacker alignment, on tendencies of blitz, different tendencies, you know, tells by guys. I mean, you would not believe how many times you watch on film where you see a guy's one foot's up or another foot's up, or you see a different lean, or you see the way his head looks. I mean, that gives you a little bit of an indicative, uh, you know, precursor, if you will, the cliff notes to let you know they're going to blitz or they're going to bring something from that from that area or they're going to bring some kind of twist or stunt. I really think that Ohio State um, is going to have to do that um, this week against Michigan to kind of confuse them a little bit, get home a couple times. If you can get home once or twice with some sacks, it really gets Michigan off schedule and it really kills their drive. Michigan's run the ball well this year, to your point about them wanting to establish the run. I mean, Hassan Haskins is a thousand yard rusher. Blake Corum is at almost 800 yards. They're basically at 1,800 yards, uh, just over that, I think, combined. Uh, and they've combined for 23 touchdowns. You know, those guys are basically running the ball for 180 ish yards per game. Um, I, I have to think that that has to be you know, first and foremost on their game plan. Like if they can't establish a run, they're going to get way too predictable, way too one-dimensional, and the Buckeye defense has gotten gotten good enough to the point where it's going to be hard for Michigan to move the football. Um, so I, I would be stunned if they don't try to pound the ball on the ground a little bit, you know, right away out of that first drive. Um, but, you know, how, how effective can those guys be against – Maybe the best defense they've seen all year outside of Wisconsin. Um, you know, I, I look at Michigan and I think about, you know, the wins that they've had that have kind of, I guess, impressed me. Um, last week was probably their best win, I would say. I mean, I realized the score was kind of a blowout, but it just start to finish, it was a complete game for them. They played really solid. Uh, I thought their win over Wisconsin was not as good as as the score would indicate. Um I said that even at the time, I wasn't super impressed by that, but, you know, give them credit for the win. Uh, and I thought their win over Penn State was a good win. Yeah. Um, you know, th those are the three games that if I'm a Buckeye fan looking at Michigan, those are the three games that I'm saying, okay, you know, this is where we saw some some good flashes from this team. You know, their win over Washington has not looked nearly as good. You know, they beat up on a couple of, of uh, smaller schools at the beginning of the year that, yeah, whatever. I don't really care. I mean, Western Michigan and Northern Illinois just. Hey, Northern play. Illinois won the MAC West. Easy I'm, there. Great. <laughs> Didn't excite. Western me. Michigan beat Pitt. <clears throat> yeah, they did. They did. Um, you know, I, I just there there were moments throughout the course of the year where I I've been waiting to see what Michigan's offense is capable of, and I mean, I don't want to take anything away from them. They're good. They, they have certainly been good enough to earn a number five national ranking. Uh, and they've lost only once, and you could make an argument they shouldn't have lost the game they lost. Um, I I just don't think they are at the level yet that they need to be to compete for a Big Ten championship and, and make the college football playoff. 
and before we get away from their offense, I, I want to talk about specifically Cade McNamara because, I mean, Tommy, it's no secret. I mean, under Jim Harbaugh, the problem, the number one problem for him is that he hasn't had that guy at quarterback. If he had better quarterback play, he probably isn't 0-5 against the Buckeyes. He probably has had more top 15 wins than he's put together, uh, where he's basically lost just about every time they've played a meaningful game You know, in, in November or later. What do you like about Cade McNamara? What are his his weaknesses? You know, where where can the Buckeyes try to mess with him? You know, he's done a good job of not turning the football over. Um, I think he's only thrown two picks on the season. Yep. Um, you know, he's not a touchdown maker, and I think he's thrown for 14 touchdowns, which I know is 14 touchdowns, but 14 touchdowns um in the Big Ten, when you've run, you know, what is it now? We're in week 12. Um, that's not as, you know, he's played in 11 games with 14 touchdowns. That's not like eye-popping stats. He's going to throw the ball for 194 yards. Um, it, it's not turning the football over. He doesn't turn the football over. And when you don't turn the football over, you rely on that good run game uh, that you do. Um, it sets up play action for you. And he's he's a patient kid. He doesn't get flustered. He doesn't scramble a lot in the pocket. Um, I think he does a really nice job when it comes to that um, at the quarterback position. Where he does struggle is when people don't get open. If people play coverage on them and they don't get open, that's when you see him kind of bob like Maryland last week a little bit. He started bobbing around. You know, he, he created his own scramble that he really didn't need to. And until that happens, um, and I, but I, I still I don't think he's the trigger man. I, they just don't, you know, and all this comes back to, and I'm sorry, this is a little bit off topic, but it's Jim Harbaugh recruiting the quarterback position. Brendan, you've, you've talked to Jim Harbaugh at length. I mean, Jim Harbaugh stole 45 minutes of my life that I'll never get back that you actually ran the interview on because the guy just went on this tangent about how he got beat up in like high grade school football or whatever. He's a different cat. He's and weird. when that comes to recruiting, it's really hard for him to sell Michigan. He can't sell Tom Brady. He didn't develop Tom Brady. You know, he can't. What's he going to sell to these recruits to tell them to come to Michigan over Ohio State? If you're a kid and you're sitting there and you go, who do I want to go play for? I want to go play for Ryan Day, who's this guy who wins big games, who develops quarterbacks, who gets them to go play in the National Football League. Um, you know, and, and really, I mean, the jury's still out on what Justin Fields' NFL career is going to be like. You know, you could say what you want about, you know, Haskins and all the other different players that we, we've had over the, the last couple of years. But realistically, we're pretty confident C.J. Stroud's going to be an NFL player one day. You know, one of those backups that are in the, in the facility right now will probably end up being one. I mean, gosh, they had a 2024 kid on campus the other day. Um, you know, the 2022 kid just decommitted from USC who did an official visit the week before. I mean, that's where – that's the big difference now. Michigan's not beating Ohio State when it comes to getting the guy at quarterback. You know, they went after Drew Allard, the kid in Medina, who's a really – who's the best, you know, in-state quarterback. Um, yeah, he's a real deal. He's, a, he's – in fact, I think he's going to have a really good career at Penn State. I mean, I agree. Really I agree. I think Drew's a really good player. And they missed on him too. They couldn't get him. They couldn't lock him up. And Penn State was able to do that. I really think it's important that until they figure out – until they figure out how to recruit that quarterback, how to get that guy. I know it's, it's hard. I, I've been an offensive coordinator and offensive line coach at places. And when I go in to talk to a quarterback, a lot of times they look at me and they go, how the heck are you going to develop me? You know, and it's funny, like I've had, you know, unfortunately, Tim Boyle, who started for the Detroit Lions last week, I had him at Little Eastern Kentucky at FCS school, and he's playing in the NFL. Now, he didn't play great on, on Saturday or on Sunday, rather, and I loved him. But it comes back to being able to recruit that position. And McNamara just is – he's a good player. Um, he probably fits their system right now because he doesn't turn the football over. But he's not a guy that's going to go win the game. Like C.J. Stroud has the ability and the moxie to go win a football game. 
to go make big throws, to make those moments, you know, as we talk about those Heisman moments. And that's what you're hoping to see this weekend. McNamara doesn't have that. It's not in his DNA. It's not his gene. He's a great player. And a lot of people would love to have him, but he's just not that guy. And, uh, you know, I, I give him the credit for not turning the football over, but he's not going to lose you the game. He's definitely not going to win you the game. And I could eat crow on Sunday. What we, what we learned, if Gabe McNamara throws for 400 yards against the Buckeyes and has five touchdowns, I'll be right there. I, I already admitted this week I was wrong on the college football playoff. Michigan was sitting on the outside looking in. I wanted to up the ratings. Uh, they gave it to Cincinnati. You know, God bless Cincinnati. I'm excited for Luke. And those guys have done a tremendous job this year. But until Cade McNamara changes that, um, yeah, he's still just a, he's just a guy. And and they rotate him out. That's the other thing you know about quarterbacks. When you're rotating at the quarterback position, Brendan, you don't have a guy. You don't have the guy. We've talked about this. When you rotate your quarterbacks, you don't have the guy. It was the same thing up front on the offensive line. You know, they're rotating with Paris Johnson and Jones and Mumford and all these guys. They're going through the, the whole season until they figured out how to solidify this thing. You know, they made it really difficult on them. But in a long-winded response, Cade McNamara, you're doing a great job. Don't turn the football over. And you still got a chance of playing in the Peach Bowl, brother. So keep getting after it. Yeah, and, and that's that's the part of this that I keep going back to as well. Like, the the mixed signals that it must be sending Cade that that JJ's getting snaps regularly, right? I mean, I, I I'm sure within the walls of of Michigan's facility that they're you know telling Cade McNamara, look, you're the guy. We're trying to develop this other guy, but you're the guy. Yeah. They have to be telling him that. But there there has to be. I don't know, man. If you're the starting quarterback at a school like Michigan, and you're getting pulled out of the game when when you're still in the heat of the game, like that wouldn't sit well with me. It shouldn't sit well with a starting quarterback. So, you know, I, I have, I'm not going to even pretend to know what the dynamic is, you know, behind closed doors between Cade McNamara and JJ McCarthy. Um, I know that Michigan is desperate to find the guy. And, and, you know, maybe JJ McCarthy turns into that guy in a couple of years. It's possible. Um, certainly, you know, extremely highly recruited coming out of high school. And he seems to have a lot of the a lot of the intangibles, so maybe that's the guy. But I, I don't know. I, um, I I I totally agree with the if you if you're playing two guys, it's because you don't have a guy. Uh, and and I I don't think it has you know come back to bite Michigan this year. The reality is, Tommy, after what last year looked like, and all of the people that were calling for Jim Harbaugh's head last year, justifiably so, if they you know, if they lose, to, if they go 10 and two, that's a pretty darn good turnaround. And then they're going to go play in a meaningful bowl game and they might get Notre Dame and maybe it's, I don't know, the Rose Bowl or whatever. Um, you know, if, if they win a bowl game and they only lose two games now, those two games in that instance would be to their two rivals. Like that's, that sucks, but it sure feels like a heck of a lot of improvement from where they were the year prior. Um, it, maybe that's good enough for now. I don't know. I mean, it, no Michigan fan is going to tell you that it's good enough to just compete with Ohio State. But perhaps the reality here is that, you know, they've made enough progress that they're going to keep keep going with the staff that they've got. Um, it, it's it's going to be very interesting to follow what's going on in Ann Arbor this offseason because as we transition here a little bit, Mel Tucker got that 10-year, $95 million contract after all. And uh, James Franklin just signed a massive, massive contract extension of his own. Um, you know, th these these head coaches in, in the Big Ten are starting to make some serious coin. 
Um, Ryan Day's contract is is a good contract for sure, but he's got to be sitting around going, I haven't lost any of these guys yet. Um, you know, show me the money. Uh, and and I, 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 I don't know this for fact, but I have to think that Ryan Day is not leaving Ohio State with the exception of very few opportunities. Um, you know, maybe the the day that Bill Belichick decides he's done in New England, if it's a chance for Ryan to go to the NFL and go live back closer to home, maybe that's a draw away. But like I, every time I think about it, I'm reaching because who's got it better right now in the country than Ryan Day? Absolutely nobody. And it's, I'm, I mean, Nick Saban, I guess, but you know, Nick Saban's career is far, far deeper than where Ryan's, you know, Ryan's is. I mean, Nick Saban, he can't have. He sees. I would certainly think he's got less than ten years left as a head coach, um, but you know who long who knows how long he wants to stick around. But Ryan Day should be coaching college football or coaching in the NFL for another thirty years if he wants to. Um, nobody's got it better than he does. And some of the the contracts that are getting thrown around in the Big Ten here are, are eye popping. And so it makes you wonder what Jim Harbaugh's thought process was around all that. You know, I realize his contract was restructured last off season. And it's it's pretty heavily uh, incentivized, and that's fine because of what happened last year for Michigan. But some of the some of the deals that are getting put together for James Franklin and Mel Tucker in particular had me uh, raising both eyebrows. I mean, Brendan, I, I see this, and you know, I, I see these different. You know, he loses by fifty to Ohio State, and they reward him with this a gaudy contract. And it literally comes back to when we talked about Keith Jackson. Oh, Nelly. It's a crazy one. They're paying these guys more money than I ever dreamed possible. But as you see that, I think what's important, um, that's for you, Jason. I think you mean not Tom Jackson. I'm not sure. But um, but I say all that because I think Mich- I think Ohio State has to figure out a way to make Ryan Day the most comfortable man in college football. And the reason I say that is because Ryan Day is 42 years old. They're paying him $7.6, $7.8 million dollars. You know, now it's when you start adding in the access to private planes. I don't know. You got it, Jason. I, I, I don't know if he's a – I don't know if he's a uh, a big traveler. He doesn't seem like a style guy. He doesn't seem like he's got like, – I, I don't even know what his hobbies are. I mean, like, I no one knows. His, his hobbies are, are football. That He's a football guy. I, there's something you have to do to entice him to keep him in Columbus. Because like I said before, is this thing is – like those are the things that are going to burn him out is being on the phone is talking to recruits day in and day out because you have to be relentless in that. If you're not, that's what they're paying these guys to do. Like, I mean, those guys, I mean, a lot of these guys don't even drive to work anymore. Somebody picks them up because they're on the phone constantly. Their entire day is mapped out. It's, I mean, for the division three level up to power five division one, your head coach better be on the phone with somebody all the time. It's exhausting, but that's your job as a CEO of a football program. You have to constantly be motivating and talking to the kids, not only in your program, but the kids you're trying to attract to your program to make that work. And I think when you see that develop and you see that grow, um, you know, they're going to have to pay him something. I don't know if it, Victoria's Secret becomes Ryan's Secret. I, I don't know what the what the next thing is. Um, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of big boosters, you know, that you have, you know, that are looking through it. And I probably gave everybody a, a, a visual that they never thought they would yeah, have. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. But uh, it's going to be something that they have to do to entice Ryan. You know, one of the things that Nick Saban, they did with him in Alabama, they bought him a house that's his forever. You know, do you buy him a forever home? Do you buy him a forever home in Columbus? 
Do you ask him where he wants to live and, and build him this house? And I, Brian Day doesn't rub me as that kind of guy. I, I know, Brendan, you've had way more interactions than what I have with him. Um, you know, mine's with Coach Aurea. I mean, that's the extent of it. Um, I don't really know him that well, but I'm assuming there's got to be something you can do to entice him to stay because you do have to pay him. Like, you have sure. to. You have to pay him. It's I, I tell this all the time. Like, you got to recruit your wife every single day. If you're not recruiting your wife, like, guess what happens? Eventually, your wife's like, he doesn't love me anymore. I'm going to join the transfer portal. Like, I mean, the people have been doing it forever. It's one of the one of the oldest sins in the book. So what you have to look at as you're growing is, you know, make it worth his while. Make his family really comfortable in Columbus. And really hope that you can hold on to this. You know, we talked about it last week. Does he go in the ring? Does he Is he a guy that when it's all said and done, you look back and you go, wow, Ryan Day, you know, what a great testament to Ohio State football. Really, the only thing I could see knocking him off right now is, God forbid, something happens off the field with one of the players. Because, um, I mean, realistically, I mean, Tress, like, I don't think any of us ever thought Tress would leave. You know, Tress, you know, Tress fell on the sword. And, and there's a lot of people, and I, did, I don't want to blow up the, the comment box on this. I know a lot of people have opinions on this. But, you know, and in today's day and age, that wouldn't even be an issue. No. Uh, but, you know, the, the way the game is cultivated now, you know, the issues you're running into are, are your players' conduct off the field. It has nothing to do with financial. It's how they treat other people. And if Ryan Day is, is, is a leader of men the way I think he is and the way he's developing these guys uh, as human beings – I, I think that's what you're going to see. And you'll see these guys go forward and, and this incredible legacy that he can potentially have. What are your earliest memories of Ohio State, Michigan? And, and how did you learn the rivalry? Is Maybe we shift away a little bit from the game itself. But like I, the, the reason I ask this is because everybody feels like they've got those stories, right? This is for, for Ohio State and for Michigan fans, this thing is so personal, right? It, it's, it's intimate, it's familial. You, you know, you learn it typically at a pretty young age. Um, it's it's a it becomes so ingrained in who you are. You know, it, it doesn't matter if it's week one. You're looking forward to that game. And, and you know, I mean, Ohio State hasn't lost to Michigan in, in well over thirty five hundred days. And Ohio State fans know that because it matters to us. Um, so I, I, I'm just curious where and when and how did you learn about this rivalry? You know, it's funny you say that. My mother went to Ohio State, and my dad uh, was actually a police officer uh, growing up, and my dad hated Ohio State. My dad loathed Ohio State. I grew up in a household, and I think part of it was like my dad trolled my mom about it. I, I really think that's where it came from. I mean, to the point my mom had this like Ohio State jersey for me as a kid that I remember like he put it on our dog. Like he put it, like we had, we had a Cocker Spaniel that he put my jersey on. He says, the dog will wear the jersey. Like you're not wearing the Ohio State jersey. Like my dad absolutely hated Ohio State football. Um, you know, probably my earliest memory, you know, might be, you know, 1990. Uh, I think Ohio State played Michigan. Um, you know, I think that was at Ohio State. Buckeyes ended up losing that game. Ended up losing to like Air Force. And Ohio State wasn't great then. You know, it was the John Cooper era. Um, that, that's probably my earliest memories of really Ohio State football. Um, I always knew it was going to be on ABC. And, and, you know, it comes back to, you know, you got excited because you heard, you know, Keith Jackson on, you heard Keith Jack, you know, we talked about him already and you know, down the banks of the old, old Tangy, the Buckeyes play the game. As the boys from up north will come down and try to show them they're still the winningest team in college football history here on ABC coming at you. And it's like, as you go do that, and, and it's like, I think it's like, it's hard to, it's probably my earliest memory of Ohio State football. Um, I know probably going to Ohio State would have been a big, my mother would have been really excited about it. Um, I, I wasn't good enough to play at Ohio State. I think Jim Trussell offered me like a walk-on spot. 
um, at a banquet my senior year because I could bench press a house, but I had no business playing at Ohio State. And I, I knew where my I knew where I knew where I, I belonged. And I, I think that's probably my earliest memory of really Ohio State football. I think the game was 16-13. You could check it. I I know we got Google. So uh, but that was really my, you know, my earliest memory of the Buckeyes. How about you, Brendan? I um I have always attached the beginning of my Ohio State Michigan rivalry memories to uh setting up the Christmas tree in my house. Um, my, my, my family is Christmas crazy. Always have been, uh, it's, it's rarely too early to start celebrating the Christmas season. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if I attach it to a single game or a single moment as much as, um, you know, we just made it a priority that, you know, uh, the Ohio state Michigan game was a day that we watched the game together as a family and we put the Christmas tree up in the house. And, and, you know, that was the only thing going on that day. There's nothing else that could possibly get in the way of it. Um, I've watched a lot of those games with my dad and with my brothers um, and and my mom, who is uh, a, a fan of her husband and kids, but not really a football fan. <laughs> uh, you know, she would watch. She would pay attention. Um, it, it was just it, it to me, it goes back to like my family. And, you know, my my dad is not an Ohio State alum, but I have several extended family members who are our Buckeye alums. Um, I. I've loved Ohio State as long as I can remember. Um, you know, I, I I didn't go to Ohio State, but I I have worked worked there as an independent contractor, covering a lot of their other sports, uh, and certainly doing this for several years. And and I, you know, it, it's it's always been part of of my DNA to to follow Ohio State football. Um, one of my favorite memories of the Buckeyes is when I was when I was a kid. Um, you know, the 2002 national title game. Um, I, I mean, obviously, so I, I was born in 91, right? So I was, I guess I was not quite yet 11. I was born in March of 91. So I would have been 10 years old when Ohio State, um, you know, beat Miami. And I remember watching that game with my dad. And when, when the final incomplete pass fell and the Buckeyes won in double overtime, I, I will never forget the, the borderline pain but my hands stinging from like the two hand overhead high five that we gave each other. Like I could feel the, the pain down in my elbow. My hands hurt so bad and it, you know, it stuck around for too long, but it was like, you just, you attach, you know, some of those feelings to the, to the euphoria of those moments. Um, and Ohio state's been pretty darn good ever since then. Um, you know, two thirds of my life, the Buckeyes have, have been among the elites of college football, and it's it's certainly been fun to follow them. But uh, the Ohio State Michigan game, I always attach to the, the memory of of putting up a Christmas tree and, and watching it with my family. So kind of fun. Ready to refer to that, I married a Buckeye. So my wife uh, is an Ohio State Buckeye. Graduated from it. My in-laws love Ohio State football. Uh, my mother, like I said, still loves Ohio State football. My family, uh, for the most part, are big Buckeye fans. And I've kind of, I mean, at my wedding, we played Hang on Sloopy, and everyone did the oh, OHIO. Uh, my buddies that are Notre Dame, Michigan fans, like sat there like this, you know, exaggerated. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I think it's important. Um, I, I think no matter who you are, growing up in this great state, um, football is really important to all of us. And this rivalry, you know, dates back to really the Battle of Toledo. And I think a lot of people know this. And, and if you don't know it, you know, here's a little history lesson for you. Ohio State and Michigan have hated each other, or the state of Ohio and the state of Michigan have hated each other for a long time. Geographically, when you look at a map, Toledo belongs where? In Michigan. Like the way the lake hits it. I mean, it, it belongs up in Michigan. 
But Ohio, we beat them. We, we had a battle, a battle of Ohio and Michigan <laughs> that to this day we still celebrate um, at noon on Saturdays uh, after Thanksgiving. And it's, it's amazing how history and pride in where you come from. And this is one of the things, no matter where you go, and Brendan, you and I have talked about this a million times. When you grow up in the state of Ohio, there's a couple things that people ask you. If you're from Northeast or Southwest Ohio, they ask you where you went to high school. Those, those are really important. If you're from Cincinnati or from Cleveland, the Akron area, hey, where'd you go to high school? The rest of the state, hey, where'd you go? OH, IO. Like, it's just the way we're raised. And I think it's important. Uh, and it means so much to so many people that don't even care about football, like you said. Um, so it's, it's going to be a fun game. And then now for us that are football junkies, you have the number two team, you know, playing the number five team in the country. You know, at noon, it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch and watch these teams battle. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. All right. Time to give our predictions. I'm pretty sure last week I went first, although off the top of my head, I can't remember. So uh, I'm going to let you go first here this week. What do you think? I got the uh, Buckeyes 45, Michigan 27. I, I think the Buckeyes pull away from them. Um, I think they're going to score early. I think Michigan will rally back by running the football. Um, I don't think they're going to try to abandon that run in the game, running game plan. They've seen other teams do that where they start trying to throw the football. They go three and out. Michigan State was a great example of that. Uh, I think they're going to try to stick with the run um, and use the clock as their best friend to stay close in this game. Uh, because that's one of the other things about Jim Harbaugh, the hallmarks of Jim Harbaugh's seasons. The last couple of years, even if they make it to a big bowl game, he has a deflated team who's been embarrassed by Ohio State these last couple of weeks, last couple of years. And when they lose that game, so they lose this game so badly. They have a month to think about it. Then they go home for the holidays to hear how bad they are. Then they're trying to get ramped up to go play a team that they don't know a ton about. Um, it, it's going to be an interesting game. Uh, but I, like I said, I like 45, you know, 27, I'll take the Buckeyes. My, my score prediction is eerily similar. I have kind of wavered back and forth between, you know, knowing Ohio State is probably capable of putting up 50. Uh, they've done that routinely. Um, but also thinking that Michigan – you know, if they can establish a run, and I'm not talking about running for 200 yards, but if they have enough of a run game that the clock keeps moving uh, and with their propensity to not turn the ball over, um, that maybe the Buckeyes would struggle to put up gaudy offensive numbers because the game would shrink a little bit. Uh, and so I, I've kind of landed on 45-24. Um, I, I think Ohio State – and, and they're certainly capable of scoring a defensive touchdown, but I don't think they're going to have one this week because Michigan really hasn't turned the ball over very much. Um, but I think six offensive touchdowns and a field goal for Ohio State is is plenty achievable. Um, and I, I think Michigan is probably going to put together, you know, a better offensive performance than what uh, Ohio State has seen for most of their opposition this year. Um, I, I, I'll say right now, I think Michigan's a better team than Oregon. You know, and, and maybe that becomes a little more obvious after Oregon got curb stomped by Utah. Um, but I, I think Michigan's the best team that Ohio State will have seen to date. Uh, and some of that is because offensively, they're pretty good. They're not great. They're certainly not elite, but they're pretty good. Um, and they've, you know, they're coming off of a huge game in which they're probably going to be playing with a lot of confidence, um, you know, knowing what they what they just did to Maryland last week. So. I, I like 45-24. I think that's kind of where I'm settling. So we didn't talk about this ahead of time. We were off. No. The <laughs> Although that's happened a couple times this year. We've been, we've been pretty much on the same wavelength. Yeah. So, victory is a victory. So hopefully right. we're both right. Yep. Yeah. And if Ohio State can do that, uh, they'll find themselves playing for a Big Ten championship, trying to win it again next week. Uh, this is, this is you know, the Ohio State football conference with the rest of the Big Ten trying to knock off the Buckeyes. 
the the good news is if Ohio State wins this week, they're going to have a chance to defend a Big Ten title, and and certainly we'll have a chance to go to the college football playoff. Um, look, the, the loser this week, it, it's going to sting. There's one game left if you lose, and it's a bowl game, and it's not going to feel well. Uh, it's it's going to feel like an irrelevant bowl game because the the standard, the expectation is college football playoff. Uh, and, and national championship, and uh, Ohio State has to figure out a way to to win this week. The good news is they've done everything up to this point to keep all of their long goals in front of them, right? This team all the time talks about beat the team up north, get to Indianapolis, make the college football playoff. That's Those are their three goals, and, and if you do all three of those things, you got a real good chance to win the national championship. Uh, and here we are now on November 26th as we shoot this, November 27th tomorrow the game. Um, and, and you've, you've put four months worth of work together from the beginning of camp to where you are now. And all of your goals are still achievable. Even if you stubbed your toe early in the season, um, part of what is so fun to watch college football is to watch the growth and the progress throughout the year of, of young guys that are trying to, trying to make it work, trying to figure it out. Um, and this team has grown an awful lot throughout the course of the season. It's been awfully fun to watch them. All right, there's your uh, pretty in-depth preview of the Ohio State and uh, and Michigan game coming up Saturday at noon. It'll be at the Big House. We'll be there. We're looking forward to, to bringing you live coverage after the game's over with our instant analysis post-game show. Uh, obviously, we'll have the press conferences, and then we'll, we'll go live shortly thereafter. I certainly hope you'll join us for that. If you haven't subscribed to our content on YouTube, that would certainly really help us. We would appreciate that support. Uh, set your notifications so that you get a – you know, a notification on your phone and you'll know when we're live so that we can interact with you. We love the lot of the comments in the chat box and certainly would like to address some questions and some things post game tomorrow uh, if you want to join us. So I uh, hope you'll hope you'll consider that. You can follow us on our social media accounts at Buckeyes Now SI on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram on YouTube and of course over on BuckeyesNow.com. For Tommy Zagorski, I'm Brendan Gulick, Ohio State in Michigan. Doesn't really need much of an introduction. Pretty fired up for a big game tomorrow. We'll see you up at the Big House, 12 noon Eastern time. The game is televised on Fox, and we'll talk to you live post-game. Enjoy the game, everybody.